Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host, Matt Fortuna. Um, We're recording this on Tuesday night. I just got back from Notre Dame Jacksonville men's basketball before flying to actual Jacksonville tomorrow uh, to cover the Gator Bowl. But um, we will preview that later in the show. Uh, We've got some signing day to stuff to probably pack up or unwrap or however you want to get your holiday stuff in there. And, I mean, the big news of this week around Notre Dame football is a quarterback who plays for Wake Forest went in the transfer portal. So, Matt, is this uh, more of a Ron Paul lasers it's happening meme or more of a Michael Scott out of the office, oh, my God, it's happening meme? You just you tell me which one. Wait, what was the first one you said? Uh, the, the Ron Paul, like, lasers going, it's, hap- it's happening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, thought you said, I thought you said Ron paul That's why I was yeah. confused. <laughs> um, Not happening. It would take something pretty extreme at this point for it not to happen, from my understanding. Now, this is college football, and it's still the year 2022 as we record this. So we've seen some crazy. It's 10.31 p.m. (laughs) Eastern time on Tuesday night as we record. We have seen some crazy stuff. Um, But look, I mean, this was a name that was, you know, a a stealth name, if you will. I know me and you had texted about this for for a week or two now. Uh, Connor O'Neill, I believe the reporter at Wake Forest, put this out there publicly uh, Friday morning, the morning of uh, Sam Hartman's final game, the Gasparilla Bowl against Missouri. And honestly, my first thought when seeing that was, you know, if you want to create a bidding war for yourself, this is the way to do it. Like you leak out, you're going to a blue blood. Everyone pays attention to the, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, the Gasparilla Bowl to watch this guy that Notre Dame's going after. And hey, if he plays well, and he did, let the bidding begin. If you're one of, I was told, no fewer than four SEC teams that had reached out about Sam Hartman um, within the last month. But all indications are this is not some like bidding war. This is not some big NIL play. This is Sam Hartman wanting uh, to go to Notre Dame, uh, wanting to to improve to prove himself at, for the next level. Um, he exits Wake Forest with the most career touchdown passes in ACC history, 110. He beat Todd Boys of Taj Boyd's record against Mizzou uh, a couple days ago. And uh, look, I haven't looked at all the recent rankings. I know we have a a portal tracker on our side and a lot of others do as well. Um, If there's a better quarterback free agent out there, I haven't seen him. Now, I'm sure there are people who are in Devin Leary's quarter and maybe Brendan Armstrong's and, you know, maybe the upside of Hudson Card who will make compelling arguments there. But we're talking about a guy who was a second team all ACC player last year behind Heisman finalist Kenny Pickett and who just rewrote the ACC record books and is everything you want. A three time captain from Wake Forest, which obviously means he's smart and should be a natural fit at Notre Dame. Like, again, they're at the one yard line now. Crazier things have happened. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but I don't know how this is anything but celebratory if you're a Notre Dame fan right now. You've been begging this program to, rightfully so, to hit the portal. And to get an elite quarterback prospect, and you just got the number one guy out there, um, and, and that's a home run, in my opinion. 
I yeah, I agree with all of that. I always felt based on talking to sources at Notre Dame, like the top priority for Notre Dame in evaluating who they wanted to take was game reps, game experience. Sam Hartman, I think, thrown for just short of 13,000 yards in his career. I mean, he's he's a, he's a five-year starter. Um, he played in the game where Ian Book made his first start as, like, the Notre this, Dame guy, yeah. not, the, like, the fill-in game at North Carolina. Um, he's got an elite beard. Uh, he likes cold drinks. He had a rib <laughs> removed that he wants to turn into a necklace. I mean, what's yeah. not to like about this? Um, like, major major football guy. Sounds like like he's a little bit. Uh, it could be a little surly, I guess, with the media um, in I, terms you know, of I, like I, I, or short with the media. I don't he's know. A, he's a journalism major, and I've spoken to his journalism class way back when. Um, and actually, I got bumped from that class last year because they brought Hartman back to speak to it while he was in school, <laughs> and they said, "Mac, can you reschedule?" Uh, which I was happy to do. So um, he. In my interactions with him, and I've had quite a few over the years, both in person and by phone, he's been awesome. Now, he's okay. not always the most available guy in that department, um, but he's 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 awesome. Um, if you can me, get him, he'll he'll get going kind yes. of thing. Like, um, here, this is – I wrote – I'll have to find a story. I wrote a big story on just him and Wake last year when they started off 8-0, um, but this was a quote I pulled for our story today from it, and I just thought, I've never heard anyone speak about a teammate this way. I've never heard an offensive lineman speak about a quarterback this way. And look, I know every offensive lineman is going to say good things about their quarterback, but this was extreme, I thought. Uh, Sean again, guard center there. He was there this year too. Last year, I asked him about blocking for Sam Hartman. This was coming off a, a comeback win at Syracuse where he made where Hartman made some big plays. And I'll just read the quote here verbatim. Quote, the guy loves everybody on the team. He gets along with everybody like your quarterback should. And just knowing you have someone special slinging that rock behind you just makes the offensive line strain a little bit longer because you know he's got that it factor. And if you can just give them one millisecond longer, like at Syracuse in that overtime, we knew just strain, just protect this twist, and let's let him get rid of that ball. And he does special things like that. So it's really neat. And you just savor it as an offensive line, and you just want to protect the guy for as long as possible so we can make those plays, end quote. So, yeah, that sounds like a football guy to me. <laughs> right. I think and it's funny, like, when this came out, um, I, you know, you get some Twitter mentions about, like, hey, this is the Notre Dame's best quarterback since who? And I was like, well, I mean, Ian Book won 30 games. Yeah, I, I fourth-round pick. But I think Ian Book had a lot of that stuff, too, with the offensive line where – Guy like guys love to block for him. Um, I think if you can find a quarterback who would casually joke about like I would come back as an offensive lineman if I could, who's just like got more like some dude qualities about him. Like Ian Book had that. Hartman seems like he's got that like in spades. And you know, for him to come into Notre Dame's quarterback room and locker room in the spring, if this is you know crosses the finish line, I mean, I think he will be sort of like instantly accepted and respected because of what he's done before. I mean, it's his, I think his story is, is pretty easy to track. His experience is, is great. Notre Dame doesn't have that. I mean, I think it would, it's what double the number of starts that maybe more than double that Jack Cohn had when he came in here. And like Jack Cohn I, took I that over. No so. problem. Yeah. Um, I think Jack Cohen started 18 games at Wisconsin. Yeah, Hartman's probably in the 40s. So it um, 
I it would it would be such a breath of fresh air for for Hartman, which you know you can get into a little bit more with the Wake Forest and just like you know being there five years, but to for Reese and the offense to sort of have a guy that can run what they want to run um, and can probably is is much more on Reese's level in terms of seeing football, um, you know, better size, obviously. Like, I don't think Reese is going to get on the phone with Sam Hartman next year and tell him to do his effing job. Sam Hartman maybe will tell Reese to do that. I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> – but I think that, I think I, that you know, he's 24 years old. Like, I'm sure they can have a different relationship than what Reese had – with Pine, and it's probably way more similar to the relationship that Reese had with Book, at least at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think you know that that will be interesting. I mean, I, I I think Tommy, you know, just just knowing him as a, as a player and as a coach, I I think Tommy is Tommy, right? I don't think he yep. was picking on Drew Pine in that moment. I think that was you know just how he felt, and Drew Pine was a guy on the other end of the line. Now, whether Drew Pine was responsible for that, <laughs> whatever mistake we're referring to here is another conversation, but I, I just think, um, you know, how does this work? How does this not work? I'll start with the, the potential negatives. And these are all like hypotheticals, right? Warren Ruggiero is one of the best offense, offense coordinators in the country. Now he's one of the best offense coordinators in the country because he runs the most unique offense in the world. And absolutely no one can replicate it because, uh, as being colleague Bruce Feldman wrote earlier this year in a look back, they had the most egregious, breach of trust in the history probably of college, modern college football with wakey lakes and they basically created this new offense out of that and have closed their doors to everyone since then and no one knows how to run it or how to stop it and it's worked for to perfection pretty much since they started using it in 2017 i mean this is by far the best era of wake forest football and it pretty much coincides with since sam hartman took over in 2018 there were some ups and downs in between with jamie newman and john walford but hartman's been pretty consistent there um, part of why Sam Hartman is leaving is because uh, there's a, a stigma out there, rightly or wrongly, that you know that system does not necessarily translate to the NFL. Sam Hartman is a record-setting quarterback who's got more game reps than probably anyone out there right now who's about to be 24 years old come kickoff next season and by all accounts did not receive the most favorable draft feedback uh, when he sought that out. Uh, he, he had been pretty consistent all year long in saying, like, I'm done with college after this year. Um, and it, it, I'm guessing the fact that he's coming back to college means he still has more to prove and he's going to look to prove that in a system that's more akin to an NFL style system. Mm -hmm. Now, fair question. Does he adjust to it overnight that quickly? I mean, again, he's smart, he's talented. I'm sure he will, but it's a fair question at this moment in time. Um, the other question, you know, and I don't know if see, Jack Cohn was a proven guy, but he wasn't. Like Jack Cohn had to transfer because he lost his job. Now, right. we could twenty do hindsight's twenty twenty. Paul Chris <laughs> ended up losing his job because he chose Graham Mertz over Jack Cohn because it was probably the wrong decision. But Jack Cohn had to leave. Sam Hartman doesn't have to leave. And I don't know if Notre Dame's ever had a guy who's 24 years old on the roster, one, and two, going to be the captain of the ship. And look, based on everything we've heard from everyone at Wake and everyone at Notre Dame who, who's into this guy, it won't be a problem. I have no reason to think it'll be a problem. But you never know when a guy who's that old, uh, I mean, look, he's going to be relying on a group of receivers that are all 18 years old next year, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, the personalities, this, that, and the other. I mean, that's all stuff. And again, that's all stuff to worry about later on. But 
that's the only way this doesn't work. But you know, I'd be very, very excited about all this if I were Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy can put an offense on his back, yes. which I don't. You know, Jack Cohn did did in spots. Like to be fair, um, Ian Book did in spots, but it wasn't something that you you know against Clemson he did it. Um, but it wasn't something that was like an every week thing. Sam Hartman like was the freaking offense at Wake Forest. It's and it's like I you know I think the other thing where I'm like okay uh, I I would like to see more is just he threw a lot of picks. Uh, he had back to back three pick games this year. That's I mean that I don't want to say it's alarming because he threw like thirty plus touchdowns two straight years, but it's it's something that's like a little different from like how Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese like to play football. Um, they like to be more conservative with the ball than wing it. Uh, Wake Forest is in much and not as in many games as Notre Dame is in terms of like they're trailing. They have to throw it. They don't have a choice. Their offensive line cannot run block um, all that well. You know, that's like they're off their offense worked because of Sam Hartman and their OC I wouldn't say that it worked because they had elite offensive line talent. I mean, that was something that I'd heard early on was Hartman's interest in Notre Dame. You know, it's not about the grotto. It's about Blake Fisher and Joe Alt. Um, you know, I, I would say it, maybe not. This was one of the worst wake lines in recent years, but they've okay. been really good on the line throughout basically from year three on with Dave Clawson. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's been a problem. Yeah. But in the sense of like when they would run into a, a Clemson, they were they're the line level like maxed out um and like Clemson ragged out a lot of offensive lines but like Notre Dame is has an offensive line that should be able to take it to everybody on the schedule next year um you know with the exception of like Ohio State and Clemson but like those should be even those should be fair fights um I mean you have a first team all-american at left tackle coming back your your right tackle is an NFL player too so that um if I was Sam Hartman and just like I haven't watched a ton of Wake film, but I definitely watched the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, that off the like to see the offensive lineman, the style of player that Sam Hartman is working behind, like that's a that's a different caliber of lineman than what he's going to see as soon as he gets into the building at Notre Dame. So he, you mentioned the turnovers, and it's interesting and weird. Like he's from Charlotte. And this became a big thing at Wake. You know, he played in, I think it was called the Belt Bowl at the time in 2020 uh, in Charlotte against Wisconsin. And he threw four interceptions. And he made a big vow to, you know, learn from that. And he played in that same building, his hometown, again, in the ACC title game last year against Pitt. And it was a three-point game, I believe, at halftime. And they ended up getting blown out. And he threw four interceptions against Pitt in that game as well. And he threw three against Louisville. He's had one game a year the last three years that have made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And he's bounced back very strongly from it every single time to his credit. And I thought it was interesting. He got asked at his post-game press conference um, at the, uh, at the bowl game Friday, uh, what, what do you remember the most? And he said, you know, the, the bad times, because that's where you learn the most about yourself. And that's where you learn to kind of dig the deepest and bounce back and, and left unsaid in all this. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch of magic. I mean, it's not a stretch. I talked to people awake there who were scared you know what. I mean, this guy almost died in camp this year. I mean, his left arm felt funny. He went to the trainers. Turned out he had a blood clot there. 
and they rushed him into essentially emergency surgery and he couldn't do anything for about a month. He ended up coming back for the second game of the year and was as good as ever. But like, you know, they, they put out an announcement in camp saying he's out with a non-football injury. Um, and you know, everyone I talked to awake was, was very, very nervous in that moment. Cause they weren't sure what exactly was going on. Um, but you know, he bounced back. He won the, uh, Brian Piccolo award from the ACC this year, which I believe goes to the most courageous player in the league. And if you look at the bottom of wakes game notes, um, from the, uh, from, uh, this past Friday from their finale, it's just like Sam Hartman's place in the record books. And as you can imagine, um, there's more on there than I think we could even count. So he's actually second all time in total touchdowns still behind Boyd in ACC history with 127. Um, uh, 110 throw passes are the most second in passing yards behind Philip Rivers. Um, broke the wake passing record. Um, just a lot of good stuff. Um, and a lot of stuff I think you should be excited about if you're Notre Dame. Yeah. And like on the picks, he threw a pick for every 35 and a half passing attempts, which is not egregious. He just threw it a lot this year or this year. Yeah. This year. I'd have to look at this and I can do it now, but it, it did seem like he ran the ball a lot less this year. Just yeah, watching maybe, him play. Maybe the whole no rib thing had something to do with it. <laughs> well, else. and, you know, they lost, I think they had Kenneth Walker on their roster two years ago, who was darn yeah, near Heisman finalist. And they had Christian Beal Smith last year, who I believe Notre Dame will be facing Friday if he hasn't opted out yet. I should probably know that um, at South Carolina. <laughs> but um, he's had some good running backs. I don't know if he had that this year. He also had probably the best collection of receivers in the ACC this year as well. Yeah, it was a, it was an outstanding group. I, if you watched um, the was are we still calling it the Gasparilla Bowl? Is that what it's, I, it uh, run, or just reminds me of Sasparilla? That's what I'm going with. Um, I, or the I, I, by the way, I, I called someone at Wake that day when when the story broke and like, hey, we just got to the stadium, blah blah blah. And I didn't ask this because I didn't want to sound like an idiot. But right when this person said that to me, because I knew the bowl game they were playing in, but I had to quickly Google on my phone where the game was because I honestly had no idea. <laughs> And I didn't want to be like, so where are you right now? Because I knew you're at the game. But that that shows you how important the Gasparilla Bowl is to the greater good here. <laughs> yeah, it was odd that my I was, had to convince my family that I actually needed to watch a random college football game that no one was attending on a Friday night in December. But and, yeah, I couldn't do bedtime because I had to go onto a Zoom and <laughs> see if he said anything <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there's just a lot to like with him. It, I mean, the reasons that it would work are obvious. You know, if they're you know, a negative that in the same way that when Marcus Freeman told Drew Pine that they were going to take a, a quarterback in the portal or wanted to, that, you know, he entered the portal himself. You know, it's it's bad for Tyler Buckner in the sense like it's not going to be your job next year, uh, barring like kind of an upset and whatever the competition would be. But, you know, if you're Steve Angeli, you kind of have no, no hope of being more than number three next year. Uh, and when you've got a freshman coming in, Kenny Minchie is an early enrollee, uh, CJ Carr a year from now. It does, it puts a lot of like, oh, a pressure to ever get your opportunity at Notre Dame for some of the younger quarterbacks and Jelly in particular. So it's um it's not something and it's not like I, I say that in a sense, it's not something that won't come without sort of program wide like things to work around, but you know, last year I thought that Notre Dame probably w- was not aggressive enough with quarterbacks and sort of deferred to like the culture of the room. 
Um, after this year, that they needed some, they're like they needed somebody to come in there and make some plays. Um, somebody with a, a track record who they could trust to do it. And look, if Buckner goes out on Friday, throws for three hundred fifty yards and six touchdowns, awesome. Like bring it on as a quarterback competition, but. Uh, I don't think that you can assume that after the guy who started two games and you know they were the Ohio State and Marshall games. Just an earlier point, I looked it up. Um, so Hartman ran the ball, and again, this includes sacks, and he was sacked 34 times this year, but 102 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown this year, just 1.3 yards per carry. Last year, 117 carries, 363 yards, 11 rushing touchdowns. 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, the COVID year, he finished with minus one yard and two rushing touchdowns. Uh, 2019, um, which he mostly didn't play till the end, he had 89 rushing yards a touchdown. Uh, in 2018, that um, uh, rookie year for him, 275 rushing yards, two touchdowns. You know, it's funny that he he started that game, and he started that game. I, I, my memory uh, serves correctly. Kendall Hinton was going to be Wake's starting quarterback that year. He got suspended in camp. Um Jamie Newman, I believe, was ahead of Sam Hartman on the depth chart, but got hurt during camp. And Hartman kind of fell into the job as a true freshman and was not ready, at least not ready to the level you know he obviously is now. And I just remember being, I was doing an embed story with Wake that day. And you know, before Notre Dame made the switch team book, I mean, that was a very vulnerable Notre Dame team that looked <laughs> yeah. ripe for an upset. And I'm on Wake sideline, and it's you know, the feels like temperature there is you know, whatever oh, the inverse like, of it no, is it now, 100 degrees, yeah. And Notre Dame just dominates that game. And there was a point in that game where Hartman gets, you know, knocked out and he comes out of the game and I'm staring. Let's say it's a 30 yard line. I'm staring like basically directly into his eyes as he's sitting down and you just see his eye. Like you see him like basically collapse. Like he he just got his ass kicked so thoroughly that game by a very hungry Notre Dame team that was completely overmatching awake team and it, you just almost felt bad for him in that moment it's just crazy to think that's the same guy who may be playing probably is playing for Notre Dame against Wake Forest um in 2023 so he's had you know I mean he starts as a true freshman let's not forget Jamie Newman comes back and starts in 2019 and looks like mm-hmm. a stud for much of that year and Hartman stuck with it he ends up starting at the end um here's another I thought um good quote by him this was again was from last year talking about just coming back from uh 2019 and the struggles of 2020. Um, He said, quote, going into this year and in the spring and the summer, it was just that rebuilding process. And you look at science or the anatomy of the body. When you break a bone, when it comes back, it's actually stronger than before based on, I don't really know that, but my dad told me and he's a doctor, (laughs) but it does break in the bone. It comes back stronger. And I think that we've calloused our hands or whatever metaphor you want. And I think that's where I see the difference. End quote. Um, Our colleague, Andy Staples had a really good story at him last year as well. Uh, Encourage our listeners to look it up. Uh, One of Sam's best friends um, in high school who I believe had moved in with him, um, you know, killed himself. And Sam has been a huge advocate on the mental health front health front publicly um has carried the banner for that in fact it's still his pin tweet from 2015 um if you go on his account right now so again yeah i don't want to uh put the cart before the horse and say this guy's gonna win the heisman and gonna be the best quarterback since montana at notre dame but he i I, you can't tell me that there's a five-star freshman out there right now you'd rather have in 2023 calling your offense more than you would sam hartman there's no doubt there's no doubt. I mean, and that's on top of like the fact that they signed a good quarterback too. Like, yes, 
you know, they didn't they didn't have to choose. They took both. Um which Notre Dame needs a lot more both in terms of its roster building. Um, and to do that at quarterback to go from where they were this year, where it's like, oh my God, what happened to this room to next year where, I mean, you have Hartman, Buckner, Angeli, Minchie, four guys, and with Paulus as well, five guys on scholarship, and then CJ Carr coming around a year from now. That's that's a good place to be because it's, look, it's a, Notre Dame has not always, done the like hey the best man wins and if you're not the best man see ya um they could they could be a little bit more cutthroat with this kind of stuff like let the cream rise to the top and then just sort of deal with the consequences consequences later but in the meantime you've got the best option starting at quarterback and i feel like there have been stretches for Notre Dame where it's like is this the best option or is this just like the only guy that's here um Next year is definitely not going to be the only guy that's here with Sam Hartman if that uh, if that goes Notre Dame's way. And it's like, for good measure, the last t- four seasons where Notre Dame started a senior quarterback, and Sam Hartman is more than a senior, <laughs> they're 36-6. and six. And that includes, I think, 4-0 with Brandon Wimbush in there before Ian Book replaced him as a junior. So it's got to I'd say it's got to be... Pays. I'd say it's got to be the closest age between quarterback and um, OC, but like Tommy's been here for four years now, and I'm sure if you do the inverse, like he was what yeah, 27 what, when he was the OC, the, uh, so he coached a 22 Matt, year old. Max I'm Duggan sure. and Garrett Riley. Yeah, there you go. Um, that that might be an, uh, one that would beat Reese and Hartman, but man, that's it's close. The, I mean, uh, actually, the, the, the Western well, Kentucky about Ian, guys Ian 27. Book, Ian, what about Ian Book and uh, Tommy Reese? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you yeah. go, like, it sounds crazy because Hartman's so old, and it's like, well, Tommy's still pretty young, and he was younger, obviously, four or five years ago than he is now. But no, uh, he just got the guy that just got hired by uh, uh, Washington State today. Was it Ben Arbuckle, the OC at Western Kentucky? I believe his quarterback was 23 or 24 this year. They had a nice offense there as well. But the times are changing, that's for sure. My, was it? Were you on the text with? Uh, I think you were on it. Uh, some, we won't mention his name on here, but he, he sent a tweet during the Heisman ceremony that said it was like 2016 Heisman winner Lamar Jackson, 2022 Heisman finalist Stetson Bennett. They're the same age right now. <laughs> it's worked out for Georgia. Hey, if you can't get Lamar Jackson, just keep Stetson Bennett long around long enough around until he turns into what he's turned into. Um, I appreciated Kirby Smart's signing day comments. Here's a guy who gets you know pretty much whoever he wants these days and might win another national championship here in a couple of weeks. And he got asked why he didn't sign a quarterback in this class. And he was like, cause I'll find a better one in the portal. Like it's, it's very simple. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot out there. Uh, I mean, we had Notre Dame, I think wrapped up signing day since our last show. Um, it was eventful, not in the way <laughs> that Notre Dame would have wanted with Peyton Bowen flipping to Oregon only to then flip to Oklahoma a day later. Um, but I mean, Notre Dame's class, I didn't think it would finish in the top five. I had been writing as much for the past couple months. Um, but I knew it would finish in the top 10 and it did. Uh, I don't know if you had any sort of big picture ish takeaways from the class. It was for me, like it was a elite defensive end short, but pretty much hit everything else. But since Matt's 25, I can't believe that. I thought he was still only 24. <laughs> um, signing day. Yeah, I um, I don't know if it says more about expectations 
I don't know if it says more about like the culture ball world we live in now, but like nine times out of 10, whether it's Notre Dame or elsewhere, you could sign the worst class in the country and the head coach is going to get up there saying like the future is now we've got the best program, you know, we got the or best stars wanted. don't matter. Yeah. Stars don't matter. We've got the, our top target, each position, everything's great. You know what I mean? How dare you question anything today? And it definitely wasn't that vibe for Marcus Freeman. And I don't know if it was not that vibe because he was disappointed or if because maybe he was a little taken aback by just how much NIL dominated the press conference. Um, you know, and again, like the setups are different now. Brian Kelly would get up there and do a dissertation on every single guy he signed. And it, I get why he did it. Uh, I think a lot of coaches did it. That's fine. Freeman didn't really do any of that. He had a brief opening statement. Let's go straight to questions. Um, and he got asked a lot about NIL. And, you know, if you wanted to, and you did this, but like if you wanted to like place some of the answers next to each other that he said within the same press conference, like they're almost contrasting thoughts. And I don't right. think he intended for it to come that way. But this is a guy who is extremely polished. I mean, he gets up there even after Stanford or Marshall and can at least, I hate to say talk his way out of it because it makes it sound like he's selling you something, but like he's, he's a guy who has an answer for everything and who is really, really good in front of a microphone and in front of the cameras and can make you want to run through a wall for him and, and make you think that everything's going to be okay, even though it might not. And on signing day of all days, I thought it was noteworthy. I don't know if I'd say alarming, but noteworthy that there was, you know, I don't know if I'd say a chip on his shoulder or frustration. Because part of me is like, like Peyton Bowen possibly not going to Notre Dame was not a quiet secret for a long time. Right uh, Now, the way it unfolded and then how it unfolded a day later, yeah, a lot of, lot of unnecessary drama there. But like they, no one in that building can tell you with honest face they were blindsided by not getting him. Um, but the reality of the situation is, you know, Freeman during the alumni circuit all year long said, I don't want the number one class right now. I want the number one class in December. He finished the number eight class and right. he lost two publicly committed five stars, depending on who you ask a third and Dante Moore. Um, <laughs> he definitely lost a third. And why is that? Um, I see a lot of coaches and a lot of ADs around the country coming out with very specific NIL plans and asking their fans for how to help. I've not seen any of that from Notre Dame. And and I almost want to, you know, I, I don't know if they had a dial-in function. I was listening to him and a couple others that day from home. But, like, for all the talk about NIL and collectives, like, and him saying, like, we've got a great plan and we tell our kids that, I'd like to hear him or someone, an agent of the university, publicly outlay that plan for all of us to hear it. Because we're all kind of sitting here wondering – what is your plan? Um, you know, the stuff I've heard isn't frankly been all that inspiring behind the scenes, mm-hmm. at least relative to what their peers are doing. Um, I think if you're Marcus Freeman, regardless of result, I think it's fair to say he completely outworked his predecessor this year on the recruiting trail. Would you agree with that, Pete? Yes. Yes. Re- regardless of people pushing back on that notion, um, there, there's just there's just no doubt. Like he proved himself. Even if the end result ranked the same, the process to get there was way much. The the grind was over the top from where it was with BK. Which I used to say, and yet he finished with the worst class than he did last year, which was at least ranking-wise, composite ranking-wise. They were eight this year, they were seven last year, and that was mostly a BK class. Now, Freeman was a DC there and had a lot sure. to do with it. But, like, all that work, and I hate to say for what, but, like, 
you're back to having the same conversation we were having before Marcus Freeman was the head coach at Notre Dame as far as is there a ceiling on this program? And now it doesn't feel like the head coach throwing his hands up in the air like the last guy did saying this is the best I can do. And maybe he was right because he recruited a pretty damn good class at LSU his first year there this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, from the outside looking in, um, you know, I, I felt bad for Marcus Freeman because I know how hard he worked on this and I don't think um, he had the payoff to show for it. And I don't think everyone in Notre Dame is frankly all in on this thing the way you need to be if you actually want to compete for a national championship. I'll be interested to sort of see how, what kind of buy-in or at least sit-down investment in terms of time he gets from like university stakeholders on this. Because if you're, you know, if you use the word enhance as much as he does, if he says, if you say challenge everything, find a better way, like I don't think you can go to university leadership and necessarily say like give that football speech, but you at least need university leadership to be like, all right, I'll hear you out on this. I mean, like what a year ago, a VP was quote tweeting <laughs> slice, slice bread. bread. <laughs> um, you know, so it's not like people are naive to what's going on out there uh, in terms of NIL. I I would hope that Marcus Freeman would have an audience with the right people at Notre Dame. And I believe that he has already had some where he can say, like, look, this is what's going on out there. How can you help me be like get Notre Dame to a better level? How can like I always I always say this as a South Bend resident, but like when Notre Dame wins, everyone wins like the entire university wins yes. when, when football is good. They're not saying we're too much of an engineering school or too much of a law no. school or too much of a like be good at everything. Like, yeah. that's fine. Right. <laughs> and they, and that- they can do that. Yeah, it requires a lot of investment and sweat equity, and they have a lot of money to invest and a lot of people to sweat. So it it can work. Um, you know, I, I feel like Notre Dame can have a better NIL plan, but also not do the acquisition fees that some SEC schools are doing. Um, I don't think Notre Dame needs to get in that in that sandbox and start playing to be the best version of itself in the NIL world, but it can be better than what it's been. Um, I just you know, don't, I, think, I, I haven't heard anything from them. Like, no, I haven't either. I just I mean, like I, the plan. It just, I don't know if there's, I think there's a reluctance to be like outwardly, you know, embracing it. Um, you know, Swarbrick has talked about it a little bit. Uh, he was on, I think a podcast with Mike Golick and Mike Golick Jr. where he, you know, he described Notre Dame as a champion of NIL. And I think they are they're they believe in the theory of NIL. It's it's the practice that they're still figuring out. Uh, and I think after this recruiting cycle, Marcus Freeman has has a right to be like, let's hurry this up. Like, let's move forward on this. Let's let's be more like publicly embracing of the concept of NIL than I think may probably what Notre Dame has been. Yeah, I don't get like well, the NCAA hasn't told us what you can and can't do. Or, hey, the NCAA just hired a new president with a political background who's going to then tell us what we can or can't do. Like, I don't think waiting for the federal government to bail you out and give you direction on this. Like, when's the NCAA ever done Notre Dame any favors? Like, last I yeah. checked, they got hit twice under Brian Kelly. One for recruiting violations and one for uh, academic violations. And we can debate the the validity of that all we want here. But if you say you play by the rules and that happens, like, you, you kind of lose the moral high ground, in my opinion. Um you can't, and 
in fairness, and we've talked about this plenty of times under the last staff, I don't think you can go out and tell Marcus Freeman your goal is to win a national championship and then give him significantly fewer resources than every single team I'm looking at in the top 10 of the recruiting rankings right now has. Um, that's not fair. Now, I also say like uh, Notre Dame's not going to fire a coach for not winning a national title the way a lot of these other programs right. may. Um, that said, I mean, Oklahoma, I was there in the spring. They have an awesome football facility that was just built in 2016. And guess what? They're building a new one because it's already out of date and they just approved funding for that. And I'm not saying you need to have the flashiest bells and whistles in the world or the coolest this, that, or the other. Uh, but you've got something, you know, to quote our friend Ari Wasserman, like you're the Santorini of college football. You need to embrace that and sell it and not hide from it. Um, you've got more cafes. What, yeah. <laughs> got one of the best academic products out there. You have a damn good football program that I don't think is anywhere near the ceiling of, of what it can be. Um, you just need to get more people behind that. How does that happen? I don't know. I think they're, you know, all politics are local. There's something to be said for that. But I mean, I, I can tell you, I mean, Altia Sports Partners, which is working with every college in the country for the most part on an NIL plan, signed a deal with Notre Dame and was told by Notre Dame, we don't want this publicized. They're the only school that's told Altius that. Why are you hiding from this? It's also severely inhibiting their search for a general manager on campus because they don't want that advertised the way it was with other schools. Why are you looking at this as the big bad wolf? Like uh, it's saying someone else is getting someone else because they're paying more is like saying we lost the game because the other team scored more points at this point. Like there are no rules. I'm not saying you got to just like (laughs) just like there you don't you, you don't need to subject yourself to like the self-flagellation that I think sometimes can pop It's up. just unnecessary. Um, and believe me, like if you want to play that way, you, go do what Wake Forest is doing. Cause believe me, they're saying the same stuff about Notre Dame right now for taking their quarterback as Notre Dame is saying about, you know, every program ahead of them in the recruiting rankings right now for getting right. better recruits in them. And heck I'm sure Pat Narduzzi is loving the fact that Notre Dame just swiped his four-star quarterback at the last minute, <laughs> you know, and after USC swiped his, Bullet Nakafa winning receiver at the last minute last year. The uh, I have some really good off air stories about one of those we could share later. But um, the, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Um, no, I just think like good. NIL is a weapon, and I'm not saying Notre Dame needs to have like the biggest baddest weapon going for NIL, but it it can be more proactive and still be Notre Dame. Like how many, how many times have we talked about sort of like Notre Dame's overall recruiting operation or like the way the program is run and think like you don't need to try to be somebody else, but you can be a better version of who you already are. Like when you're investing in private air travel for recruiting for your coaches, that doesn't make you any less Notre Dame. No, The fact if you were doing like, let's say fund and the way that they do sort of community service around here, if you could double the incoming donations to that, and so the players were making double for the same work, that would not make you any less Notre well, Dame. And I, I will say, from my understanding, and they don't, again, they don't advertise this the way, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. I, From my understanding, the roster there is taken very good care of all above board. At Notre the, Dame. The, at Notre Dame. Yes, yes. I Yes, I believe that to be true. Too. And that's great. And I'm not saying you need to throw bags of cash at 17 year olds who are going to leave you at the altar and pick a different hat, but you at least have to have some form of plan, uh, some way to convey to them the, the earning value well, of a me, degree. That, I mean, it's like Sam Hartman, isn't that right? the like, plan though. Like if you're, if you're 
if every player was making X now and instead they were making X times three X, like to me, you can say that's not a acquisition fee or recruiting inducement. And that's true, but it's a hell of a recruiting advertisement Yeah, on top of the degree, you know, on top of the network. Um, Like hell, I was, I'm doing a story like this on a preferred walk on who chose Notre Dame over offers from Oregon state, Utah, uh, in Washington State, because he w- was like, "All right, I'm just I'm I'm drinking the Kool Aid here. I'm a fan of it. You know, he he signs. He's going to pay to go to school here. He hopes to be on scholarship a year from now. But like that guy was like, it's worth me paying seventy thousand dollars to go there. And he's like, as soon as I did that, I couldn't believe how much like the alumni network like sprung into action that I'm hearing for all I'm hearing. This is a, the same as Luke Talich. He's from Cody, Wyoming, middle of nowhere. Uh, and he's hearing from all these Notre Dame. Shamrock like, series. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yellow. Like you can play it at Yellowstone, like have an out, outdoor field, no stands. Um, it, uh, I think it's just a, all of that stuff is like very real. Like that's real value stuff. Uh, if you come to Notre Dame and like that's with the NIL, not, NIL doesn't need to replace any of that. It doesn't need to water down any of that. It can be an addition, an augmentation of what you already offer. Well, I would add, you know, to, to your point, I mean, this, like we had Clark Lee on our, our podcast last week, and he was awesome. Uh, we found out via that podcast, he never even spoke to Brian Kelly before he got hired at Notre Dame, which <laughs> tells you all you need to know about Notre Dame. There's so many good things going for it that one of the best defense coordinators in the country, a guy good enough to get an SEC head coaching job before the age of 40, fell into their lap with the head coach doing basically nothing. So, like, <laughs> there's a lot of good things going for Notre Dame, just by being Notre Dame and having that ND on their chest, they, they can certainly do much more with that. And I think Marcus Freeman is well aware of that. The other part of it, and look, I don't know all the specifics of Sam Hartman's deal. Um, deal is, is transfer. It, you know, obviously NFL has a lot to do with it. Um, but as far as like landing proven product versus a 17 year old, not sure thing. In this day and age, with the transfer market being what it is and instant eligibility everywhere and the portal being what it is, like, all right, you don't have to go after every five-star 17-year-old, but the five-star 17-year-old who went to a, a lesser academic school and didn't really love it there as much. And again, I know it's it's a day, daily, day-to-day adjustment to go to a place like Notre Dame and to withstand the academic rigors there. But to me, that's like, Notre Dame's built for that. Like, all right, you tried it your way. You tried it the, you know, the the flashy way. Come try it our way. You'll play. You'll get a great degree and your earning potential will be off the charts. Like, I, I just think there's a way to do that. And and by the way, you, like, just throw NIL and all that out, out of the equation right now. You know who had the 17th ranked recruiting class in the country this year? Who was that? Michigan, who, if I were placing a bet right now, is going to win the national championship this year. And Whoa. is pretty much identical to Notre Dame as far as their approach with literally everything. So I, I, I just won't sit here and hear it can't be done because it can be done. <laughs> not a, You're just not having it. <laughs> Matt, Matt Fortuna cannot be convinced of this, and for, I think for good reason. And you know what? Um, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh would bitch about that all the time pre-NIL, to yeah. which I wanted to say your basketball team's in the Final Four every other year, it seems like. So don't tell me it can't be done. And to that guy's credit, he's proven all of us wrong. I I think that, I mean I could be wrong, but I think they're awesome this year. And 
they haven't exactly shined on the recruiting trail in the traditional sense. No, they definitely haven't. But they have on the transfer portal market this yes. year. Yes. And I think, you know, to to get to your point that you just made, like I think if you if you had money to invest, where would you want to put it? I would rather put it on a sure, sure. thing, not on who could somebody who could be the next big thing. Like, what are the odds Dante Moore has a good as good a college career as Sam Hartman? Pretty low. Right. Like really low. So And I'd say that for like everyone, not just yeah, Dante not, Moore. I'm just saying like pick a random I mean yeah. it could be Kenny Minchie as well. Um it's not to pick on Dante Moore, but it's just hard to have a career like it's hard to be as good as Sam Hartman. It's hard to be as good as Ian Book turned out to be. Um so I, I, I don't get how Ian Book's still like I hate to say forgotten because like he's on a really good NFL team right now. Like He's just become like a footnote in Notre Dame history, and the guy's the winningest quarterback in ND history, and he took him to two playoffs. And yeah, he's not I the mean, re- he's not the reason they lost. I mean, I wasn't no, Trevor yeah, Lawrence. I mean, more but. more people should appreciate him. I, I look, I I've said this today. I've been saying this for a while. Like, if Ian Book was on the twenty twenty two team, they're in the playoff this year. They, the, this year's no, team. I mean, the twenty twenty one team. They, uh, that team that team would have gone twelve and zero. They would have beat Cincinnati. They, I don't think they would have had the scares that they had against Toledo. I, I don't think they would have had those Tech. scares. I, 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 I'm not there with Cincinnati, especially after hearing Jack Swarbrick basically say on the Gojo podcast, uh, he kind of saw that loss coming, which, which case that means it's on more than just one player. Right. Um, I mean, they got thoroughly beaten in that game, and yeah. as the draft showed, they had better frontline yeah. players that game. But, Ma- but, I, mean, I mean, maybe. But th- this, yeah. this year, Notre Dame would have been 10 and 2, I think, easy. Maybe 11 and 1. <laughs> In theory, yes, but like we can go over the Marshall game and Sanford game again and again, and I'll still tell you a million different ways they're not going <laughs> like to lose them, and they found a way to lose that them. We didn't. So, uh, uh, by the way, twenty four seven sports top transfer portal rankings right now: number one, Florida State; number two, Michigan. Guess who number three is? Pro- the most talked about team in college football since this man got hired. Oh, Colorado. <laughs> yeah, and LSU yeah. is four. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's like Notre Dame because I think we. Both get a lot of questions about Notre Dame fixing the portal. How do you do it? Like, it's not about volume. It's I not. Just, a qu- it's not quantity. It's quality. And then it's like ex- being expedient and getting them admitted. But as Those a fan, I just want to see some public like stamp of approval, a show of support, or hey, where can I give my money? Where can I do like Pat Fitzgerald got up there after a one win season at Northwestern on signing day. And was talking about how great NIL is. And if you want to support our cats, here's our collective. And you can donate here. Like, I just want some sign of, like, faith or belief that Notre Dame's even embracing this right now. And I know there's some people there behind the scenes who are working hard to do that. But there's not nearly enough of them. And publicly, their kind of holier-than-thou attitude toward this is really off-putting. Especially when we see everyone else doing this, that, and the other. And I know not everything that's out there is real. Sliced bread. Pat Narduzzi. Uh, I don't think Drake May was getting $5 million offers, and I think that's beyond irresponsible for Pat Narduzzi to go out there and just mouth off about that. But, like, show me something. Uh, you know, yeah. if Tom Allen can get up there and talk about collectives. Like, Marcus Freeman or someone on behalf of Notre Dame can get up there and or, talk about look, Or Gene Smith or Ward Manuel right. can, can talk about, hey, here are collectives, here how you, here's how you can donate them. Like, there's, there's room for Notre Dame to maneuver in that Part of NIL and not have it be. There are very re- smart re- people at this school. What Notre Dame is. Yeah, I'd very, like to very see smart. that brain power be put to 
you know, good use, at least in regards to the football That's program. It. Look, this is always like my wife, Dinah, who's an attorney, Noreen Logride, has always said, like, why isn't there a, a class in the Mendoza School of Business that has helped Notre Dame win a national championship in football? We should get Tom Mendoza like, on this a, show. Yeah, as an <laughs> entrepreneurial <ask> <laughs> class, like everyone would want to take it, like just throw the best ideas of like 200 kids against a wall. I mean, 200 ideas from Notre Dame kids. I think you're going to have a few winners well, in there. I remember um, the story never ran, but a few years ago, um, I shadowed Cody Chada. He was Fitz's ops director at Northwestern. He's now at the, the, I almost said San Diego, the LA Chargers. And Northwestern, similar in some ways to Notre Dame from an academic standpoint. Um, Cody every year would basically go to different classes and get all these brainiacs who didn't even know what the sport of football was and just hand them all these data sheets and say, figure out what all this means to me. And he, they would, Northwestern would have a team of interns essentially yeah. of guys who knew nothing about football, but were really smart because they were Northwestern students and they were able to put two and two together in a way that, that most of us can. And I, you know, it's a bigger school. I get that. But again, they have a $270 million football facility. Now they won one game this year. And I'm sure there are some people in Notre Dame who would say, look, see, that's why you don't need these bells and whistles. Um, but they're also just signed the best recruiting class in Fitz's 17 or 18 years there despite winning one game so that's my counterpoint have, to that <laughs> they have a decent amount of uh, first round picks over the last few years so they do a decent they they do a good job of scouting at northwestern and player development might not do a great job of winning games but they have, or they portal additions at quarterback yeah <laughs> perhaps it, i mean we should get to the actual game notre dame is playing um the Gasper, no, not the Gasparilla Bowl. Not the Gasparilla Bowl, <laughs> the Gator Bowl oh, against okay. South Carolina on Friday, 3.30 p.m. Um, kind of a, like a game that had a lot of intrigue over Tyler Buckner starting. Marcus Freeman said this week that he's running with the ones. He'll be the guy, and it's, it's not a surprise to anybody who listens to this podcast or is a subscriber to The Athletic. Um, but... You know, I, I feel like in some ways the Sam Hartman stuff has sort of overshadowed my intrigue about Tyler Buckner in some ways. Uh, yeah. Um, but still, it's it, it's an interesting sort of coda to the season. It doesn't feel like part of the regular season in the way that bowl games used to. Um, it doesn't quite feel like a spring game played on December 30th either. But what... I mean, what are you most interested to see on Friday afternoon when this thing actually kicks off? Tyler Buckner is one, is he healthy? Two, yeah, um, yeah we just spent 49 minutes of this show talking about next year's presumptive starting quarterback. Tyler, go out and like shit, make us look like idiots for, for wasting all yeah. that oxygen on Sam Hartman, right? Like you've been advertised as the quarterback of the future. Uh, at Notre Dame since you were like 16 years old and through no fault of your own, you've been hurt a lot. Um, but I think I'd like to see it. And this is the perfect kind of showcase moment to see that. Um, I, you know, from a football standpoint, I expect Notre Dame to lean into the run game a lot, Oh yeah, especially with no Michael Mayer, especially when you look at those stats defensively uh, from South Carolina. Um, I believe Spencer Rattler is playing, right? I haven't heard yeah. anything. He is uh, playing, but I mean, they're down. Their tight end room's like gone. Like, yeah, tight end room decimated. Top running back out, uh, Josh Van, who's their third leading receiver, but uh, the team leader in yards per catch at sixteen point four, three touchdowns, the second most on the team. He's, I think, has not returned from an injury. Um, defensively, their top, 
I would say it'd probably be fair to say their top two guys are out there too. It's um I mean it's a team that is it's it's I don't I guess I don't want to get into like who's missing more, but because right. I think Notre Dame's top end guys are better than what uh South Carolina is missing. But like Zach Pickens or defensive lineman, you know, it's not gonna blow you away with forty two tackles, but somebody who shows up on tape and then uh, Cam Smith, who's sort of their nickelback, he's the guy that opted out because he is projected in some places at least to be a first-round pick. Um, that's significant too. So, but I think that the Zach Pickens opt-out probably is the one that might impact how the game goes the most because if you remove an uber-athletic big dude in the middle of your defense against this offensive line – and a sort of a quarterback with some run threat ability now, three healthy running backs. Um, they're just six four, three oh five and athletic with NFL potential. It's hard to it's hard for South Carolina to replace that. And this is not, Notre Dame is not who I would want to try to replace that against. This, is, this was the hundred without it again. This was the hundred twelfth ranked rushing defense in the country with Zach Pickens, second worst in the SEC. Right. This will be for I mean, Clark, of- Clark was on the show with us, and he's like, oh, right. just, we ran it on him. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> if Fandy can run it on him. I mean, for all intents and purposes, and I say that as I watch Oklahoma State play right now on my iPad, uh, this will be the complete opposite of last year's bowl game, right? Like, they basically yes. went into it abandoning the run game before they could even start it. This one, um, I don't think there's such a thing as running enough. Um, now, part of that's protecting your quarterback, but I just think matchup-wise – you know, that's where Notre Dame's going to win this game. Now, as we can attest to through everything we talked about on this podcast, great quarterback is a great equalizer. And with the way Spencer Rattler played at yep. the end of 2020 and more pertaining to this conversation, the last two games of the season, um, if he goes out as one of those games, you know, South Carolina can easily win this game. Uh, special teams isn't exactly the sexiest of podcast material, but Pete Lumbo versus Brian Mason, the, the chess match Hot. within the chess match um, should be pretty interesting. Uh, these are two of the best special teams units in the country. Um, if there's an over under for block punts in this game, I've yet to see it, but we can make one up <laughs> right now. I wonder um, if Tyler Buckner can quick kick as well. Yeah. The way maybe, Caleb maybe. Williams said. <laughs> I want him the Heisman, right? But yeah. the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's easy to forget about this game with the way it frankly is with a lot of these bowl games, especially this week. But for a first year head coach, a quarterback who still has a lot to prove, um, there's a lot to be intrigued by um, if you're a nerdy fan with this game. Because you're, you're seeing what you currently have in Tyler Buckner. And I don't, I don't want to say this, but I'll just say it. Like, If you're Sam Hartman, you have even like a sliver of a doubt about where you're going to go still. And Tyler Buckner goes out and throws for like 400 yards. You're like, oh, shit, I can't go there now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think (laughs) Sam Hartman, you know him way better than I do. He does not cut a figure of like, oh, I'm going to reconsider this decision because of (laughs) new information that I saw. Like, no, I think he's just just throwing it out there. He's going to roll with it. And like, look, Tyler Buckner goes out and throws for 400 yards and six touchdowns. You, you know the message that's boards gonna, are thinking ooh, that. <laughs> that's going to be a hell of an offseason. Uh, that is going to be one hell of an offseason uh, in Notre Dame world. But it's like, I'm interested to see Buckner. Tobias Merriweather has been absent due to a concussion, really for the last month of the season. See him back out there. Can he give them a little bit of something? And I think that 
the receiver room started the season with as such a, a, a weakness within the offense. I think it is ending the season with like legitimate reason to be optimistic about next year for that group. Um, maybe they can show a little bit on Saturday. Um, you know, defensively, it's kind of hard for me to read too much into it. Cam Hart is out. Um, you know, Brandon Joseph will play. Obviously, that's you know they have a pretty good secondary going. Not top choice. Tariq Bracey's back after missing USC, which was a killer. Linebackers are all healthy. Um, you know, I think the defensive line, Jason Edmalola, based on some I think practice observations from Mike Baird, you know, at the South Bend Tribune was maybe not full go in practice this week down in Jacksonville, but sounds like he's probably going to play. Um, I don't know. It's and we'll do a post game podcast after the game. I'm going to commit to right now, not making any grand takeaways, whatever we see. Um, but I think that there are at least some like small stories that Notre Dame can come away feeling good about if they break their way on Friday afternoon. Let's not make any grand takeaways at halftime. Like I think we all did last year's poll game when it was oh, like 28, seven and it was like, Oh, right. Kelly, get the heck out of here. It was like John. Vo- it was a uh, <laughs> bug Kilmer. The statue's coming down. We're I good felt, with that. I, mean, I felt like I was the in the middle coach. of a, a freaking Disney movie at halftime of the Fiesta. Bowl we were making fun of Oklahoma state's Twitter account for like, I think they put like totally they put some random stat up instead of the final score that it was like time of possession or something <laughs> that they were winning and then they end up winning the game altogether. Um, but by the way, uh, on the subject receivers and we neglected to mention this on signing day, Caleb oh, Smith, right. very big pickup for Notre Dame. Um, the older of the, the Caleb Smiths that Notre Dame added on signing day. That's right. He, uh, I tweeted he would have been Notre Dame's leading wide receiver by 334 yards this season. Andy Bitter, our Virginia Tech writer, said he was Virginia Tech's leading receiver by 418 yards this season, which really means he was their Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer was Notre Dame's leader by 469 yards, and it'll yeah. still probably be 400-plus after uh, Friday's game right. against uh, South I mean, Carolina. Yeah, much bigger body than I think probably what Notre Dame has had, not in terms of like height or reach, but just like physically put together. Um, talking to people at Notre Dame, I think that they, once they turned on the tape, they liked him a little bit more than they thought they would. And, you know, this is not, um, I'll put this the right way. This, he's not Ben Skoranek in the sense that they're not getting him to come in and be like their number one receiver. Like he's coming in to be a rotation guy in a, in a much more functional offense at a much more functional program than Virginia Tech was. So, who knows? I mean, sounds like Notre Dame's mastery of the uh, the ACC may continue in the transfer portal as well. Um, a pick for Friday. Do you have one? Yeah, I'll make one. The line right now, I think, is uh, two and a half for Notre Dame. Um, early on with all the opt-outs and with the signs pointing to Spencer Rattler playing um, and with the you know good old who wants it more, who wants to be here more kind of game, and I still think you know as a whole, South Carolina – this is a bigger opportunity for them than it is for Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, after talking to Clark and after looking at the numbers, I, I just have a hard time seeing you know Notre Dame not being able to run the ball at will. And if you can do that, you're going to win nine and a half times out of ten. So uh, the over under is fifty one and a half. I'll go Notre Dame twenty eight seventeen. I like that. I I could. I feel like Notre Dame is going to be good for a two score win. Um, 
I'm not saying they're going to be up 28-3 at halftime and then South Carolina scores two touchdowns in the second half to make it that way. But I I think it will be a little bit higher scoring than that just because I'm not sure <clears> South Carolina is <throat> going to have a whole lot of answers for Notre Dame's run game. Um, I didn't think USC was going to have a lot of answers for Notre Dame's run game, and they did. But South Carolina is much, much worse um, than – and. You know, then almost every opponent in Notre Dame has played this season in terms of their rush defense. So it's um, I no, Stan- you know, Stanford's worse. I'm looking at Stanford's now. worse. <laughs> just like let's not let's not rehash that. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'll go Notre Dame 33, South Carolina 24. Um, so two score game, a little tighter, not a lot tighter than what we said. Just a little bit more higher score. I feel like I, there's a, a punt safety in there, like a ooh a punt. You know, with, 30, you really, with 33, it's like a sack in the end zone or something. Or you know, a I, sack mean, on a punt. I feel like you need to factor that in with the way the special teams are set up. Like, yeah, there might be some weirdness uh, in that in that department of the game. But so, so yeah, do we go, know if Flu Holtz is doing the honorary coin flip? Because I believe that was at least being talked about when this game got announced. Don't know about that. He lives in Orlando. Um, he doesn't have to. Un- Fortunately for him, unlike everyone else in this country this week, he doesn't have to get on a plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Fingers crossed for my travel to Jacksonville tomorrow. Maybe I'll be on the same plane as the Jacksonville basketball team after watching them last night. Or, uh, yeah, tonight, last night as you listened to this. That's a win and a cover for, for Mike Brace crew. Good one. Yeah. That was uh, a, a rare, <laughs> a rare comfortable win in the last 10 minutes, considering <laughs> they were losing in the second half at one point. Were they really? Oh, I was following yeah. it from afar and. Wow. That's not All right. Good. Now, our, so this would be like in our metrics for our Potters podcast listenership, like it would be a, a vertical line straight down when we, we pivot to Talk basketball, about basketball here. Okay. Yeah. So, on that note, we should probably wrap up with this <laughs> bit of a mega podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Friday afternoon or Friday evening to wrap up the Gator Bowl. And I, like I said, no, no grand takeaways. Uh, we hey, won't read too. Your, your Iowa uh, State no, pick gets bigger yeah. and bigger and better. With each Brock Purdy, it really does December win. I think I was just ahead of my time on that one. So, but yeah, Matt and I will be back on Friday recap the Gator Bowl. Yeah, we'll see if there's. I don't think the Sam Hartman saga I, is going to last a whole lot longer. I give it a. I put the over under a week, and I'd say a little less than a week. But I don't think okay. we'll have that news by on the Friday. Time the game's over. I th- I would think that Notre Dame would probably even want that to like. Can we just nah, yeah. wait till next week on that one? Um, so, but we will, and I don't know if we'll have an emergency podcast for that one because um, I'll be in Mexico next week. Matt can just talk about Sam Hartman for 45 minutes on himself. Um, but I we will well, definitely. Well, we both yeah. did that for 50 minutes today. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, we will be back on Friday to recap the Gator Bowl. Uh, and then if there's more Sam Hartman news, we'll talk about that. But um, until then, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the show.